0: This podcast comes with a disclaimer. I'm going to be talking about some upsetting topics. So if you have experienced death uh, in the family or close friends, loved ones, then I wouldn't advise you listen to this. Thank you ever so much. This is crime scene investigator Chris G, leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. I know, I know, it's been a while, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I don't really have a good excuse really, Um, but I can keep you up to date with what I've been up to recently uh at the moment i'm uh, i'm doing a project management course i'm doing a teacher training course i'm about to go on a crime scene managers course um i've got courses coming out of my ears <laughs> so when it comes to podcasts yeah it's uh, it's been a little bit tricky really um especially tricky when you've got a toddler that likes to make noise um as most people with toddlers will know uh, keeping quiet isn't really an option for for a little one, um, and you kind of need it when you're doing a podcast. It's kind of hard unless you're doing, I guess, a podcast to do with toddlers. Um, then it's probably quite good to have <laughs> have them in the background. But anyway, yeah, I've um, I've been quite busy recently. Um, I got in at three in the morning last night. Uh, we had uh, an armed robbery. I don't know if you've seen on my, on my Twitter, but yeah, I was uh, I was snapped by the paparazzi. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh it's been a bit of a busy week really. Um I'm feeling a little bit a little bit sleepy, but um I guess having a having a small child um kind of helps with with that really. It gets me used to um yeah, uh, the early the early nights, the early mornings. Um but at least yeah, I'm compensated for it. Um but I guess yeah, my little one does give me cuddles if um, if I do go in and see her. So it's not uh, it's not void of compensation. But uh, I hope everyone's doing okay. I mean, it's been several months since I've done a podcast, so uh, probably a lot has changed. Um, A lot's going on now, um, sort of Eastern Europe, which uh, has been really uh, upsetting and distressing to watch, really. Um, I kind of wish that the world would just get on with one another, but of course, if, if everyone did get on with one another, I wouldn't be doing the job that I'm doing. Um, not that I'm saying I'm thankful for that it'd be lovely to be uh, doing a job that's something different because we all get on well but unfortunately someone needs to do this so what am I gonna talk to you about today Uh, I was gonna talk to you um, about something that intrigues so many people and I get so many questions about it whether or not it's say on social media or if it's just when I see people it could be say like if I tell friends of friends what I do or it could be just like people that I see at uh, crime scenes then um, yeah they will often ask me about uh, about this topic and it's death now death um, is something that we all have in common Um, unfortunately we're all gonna die at some point in time and it's the same with not just humans but animals everything around us um, we have this in common with and maybe that's why it's fairly intriguing for some people because, yeah, we we all have our stories of, say, people that we've lost um, or we all have that curiosity of how, say, ourselves, our family or even strangers might pass away. And it's probably it doesn't help that you've got TV shows that, say, glamorise it, make it look really, really interesting and cool when actually it's a real thing that happens. And I'm always very mindful that it has a devastating impact on a family. Um, and sometimes it is obviously very apparent because there'll be, say, family members outside the crime scene that would have just found out that their loved one has passed away. And it's often, yeah, a harsh reminder of the the kind of brutal sort of feelings that someone will have um, once, say, someone does pass away. And I guess that's why we've got to remain professional when we're doing a job like this. We've always got to be mindful of, say, how other people will feel and the perception that the public and the families will have uh, by our actions, say, at a crime scene. Because it is a huge privilege to, say, go into someone's final resting place and recover them sort of in a way the say the family would want them to be treated, they want them to be treated with that respect. So how do I treat someone with respect? Well I always like to find out the person's name. Um even though they can't hear me, I might be in a room with them by themselves sometimes. I still like to call them by their name because they were a person up until that point almost and they still are in a way. But What I mean is I kind of, I want to respect the legacy that they've had, whatever that legacy is, Um, and I think by doing that, it sort of fuels me in a way to work those long hours, work those tough shifts. Maybe it's out in the pouring rain, or it's freezing cold, or it is really traumatic, um, the scene that I'm in. I feel like it's like I use that word privilege, it's a privilege to be uh, there with that person in their final resting place. And it's those sort of incentives that that drive me to to want to do such a good job for them. Um, It also can be a bit of a burden, because if you do have these sort of feelings, then that can either cloud you or it can make you want to do a better job than you actually have the capability of doing, sometimes it might be that you'll are you say striving for that bit of evidence that just isn't there because no one has left it behind but you're trying so desperately to, to find it and you're going to end up going around in circles like yeah not being able to, to get this crucial bit of evidence because yeah you're just so determined for this person um, and of course you've always got to remain objective at a crime scene so you've you've got say a possible hypothesis of what's happened maybe it is a suspicious death, maybe it's non-suspicious maybe it's say like natural causes that's happened um, or say a person may have taken their own life so you've always got to have that sort of clarity over what could have happened and what may not have and yeah you've just got to remain objective so I thought I'd talk about the role of a crime scene investigator at an, an autopsy or what we call it in the UK as a post-mortem so post-mortem is uh, like a operation on the person uh, after they have passed away to try and establish the cause of death so it might be that on the outside of the person we might not know what the cause of death is uh, a pathologist will open them up and use their expert skills to be able to determine what caused that person's life to then become extinct uh, sometimes it can be quite obvious if you've got a wound but of course you'll need to determine say which wound was the was the fatal wound um, was it survivable um, if say medical intervention was able to get there quicker or did say the the offender really want this person to suffer And, of course, all this information will be presented in a a courtroom uh, one day. So that's why it is so important to record and capture everything that we'll do at a post-mortem. So before a post-mortem happens, what will uh, occur is a forensic strategy will be made. This is usually by a supervisor, say a senior uh, CSI. And it is basically a list of things that we will need to recover at a post-mortem and it's a reflection on what has happened in the case so say if there has been a fight between two people and this person has come off worse off then we're going to be looking to see if there's anything say on the person that might help attribute who has who has caused that injury Um, whereas if it is say a road traffic accident where the car has caused the injury then we won't necessarily be looking to find say a person's DNA on the other person if they say have stopped by the roadside and we're confident there's been no sort of physicality between the two people if that makes any sort of sense I hope it does (laughs) Um, so yeah a strategy will be formulated this will be uh, agreed with the uh, the senior investigating officer or the SIO and that will then be presented to the pathologist when we get to the hospital, when we get to the mortuary, and we will have a, a meeting before the postmortem begins with the pathologist just to go over, say what we need to obtain from this uh, from this strategy. Also the pathologist, they have done this a thousand and one times. Um, they, are very sort of knowledgeable on what we need, would need to recover as well so we will always listen to them and they will be able to advise us if they feel like actually when it goes to court it would be beneficial if we had say this sample or that sample um, also in the meeting with us uh, will be a coroner's officer now a coroner's officer is normally say the go-between between the uh, investigation and the family They also liaise with the coroner for, uh, say, West Sussex, East Sussex. Um, And they are that representative um, for the person who's passed away uh, as a part of the police service. You also have uh, the, say, senior investigating officer there, or it could be that they've delegated the responsibilities to, say, the deputy or one of their teammates so we'll have a representative there either from uh, the major crime department or whichever department is uh, taking on the case and then we've also got our mortuary assistants so these uh, mortuary technicians or assistants will be provided by the hospital that we're at and they will basically assist the pathologist so they'll assist them with doing things like um, Sewing back up the body after it's uh, been dissected. Um, they will clean clean the body afterwards and make it presentable so it's uh, safe for the family to view. Um, and yeah, they they are. Um, <laughs> you say the word assistant, and you might think. I don't know an assistant is maybe someone that's not so skilled but when you watch these mortuary assistants they are just so incredibly talented in, in what they do um, so yeah they they are exceptional and those are the people that we will have have in a an autopsy room so once the post-mortem is ready to commence we will go through to the changing rooms and we'll get changed in our personal protective equipment. Um, This can sometimes change between, say, serious cases um, and major cases. Now, what I mean by that is major is often, say, your your murder scenes where someone has, say, been directly and intentionally involved in someone's death. Um, For, say, serious cases, it might be that it is, say, a road traffic accident and we're not looking for, say, that... um, that minute say DNA trace on the person um, and it could be that it has been an accident um, which will often not lead to say prosecution or it might just lead to say driver's ban. It depends on how the CPS, how our Crown Prosecution Service want to take it forward. Um, so yeah sometimes what we wear can can differ but for major crime scene cases We're going to be putting on our hairnets, our masks, our scene suits, so that's those all-in-one, say, white suits that you see us wear on the news. Uh, We'll double glove as well, so that's just if and when our outer gloves get contaminated, we can take them off and we've still got a pair of gloves underneath. And, uh, yeah, we'll get all into our suits. Sometimes the uh, senior investigating officers, so the SIOs, will not get changed into their into PPE because they're just going to be taking a sort of back seat, um, watching from a distance and just getting that information firsthand from the pathologist as to, say, the likely cause of death. Because it could be if you've got someone in custody, but however this person died naturally, then we want to get them released from custody as soon as possible um so yeah information can change quite quickly which is why they're there and straight away the pathologist is going to direct us to take photographs so i'm going to take photographs of the deceased when they're in the uh, evidence bag and this is uh to sort of show a chain of custody so to show that the say the exhibit bag uh, the sorry the body bag that they're in hasn't been opened prior to me getting there so i'm going to be taking a full length shot of the body bag Uh, when it's all zipped up and closed and just showing that seal to show that the evidence and and the body bag sorry hasn't been opened prior to me getting there and then we're going to open up the body bag and um, I'm going to photograph the deceased uh, as they as they are so we're um, just going to open up the bag do some full length shots of the deceased and this normally involves me climbing up onto a step ladder and uh I'm gonna photograph the, the person before they're then moved to the autopsy table. Um this is say a, a metal bench um, that uh has a sink at one end, so you can easily wash it down. The water's all gonna run down the bench and uh out the sink at, at the end. Um so then we'll move the person on there and we'll maybe start to say recover their clothing. Um Their clothing will get uh, recovered, say, into evidence bags, Um, and as the clothing is, say, coming off, we're then looking for further injuries that might not be visible when the clothing's present. So any more injuries that we then see, we're going to be photographing them as well. And once our sort of initial general photography is done, um, we'll say, or the pathologist, will start to take samples. So this could be, say, from... uh, Key contact points like uh hands, wrists, neck, um ankles, and uh this could be done also before the clothing is removed because if you start removing the clothing you might disrupt these areas. Um most of the time a uh ambulance service may have already moved uh, removed the clothing um to say treat the person to try and bring them back to life and resuscitate them. Uh, so it may be that the clothing has already been recovered at the scene Um, although sometimes yeah it can be done at the mortuary as well and uh, once the pathologist has say examined the front of them they're going to do the same on the back we're going to turn them over and the pathologist will be looking for again any any abnormal sorry abnormalities (laughs) that's a big word in the morning for me (laughs) It's not really when you think about it, but yeah, the pathologist is going to be looking for any abnormalities on the person that may have, say, attributed their death. Um, it's always worth, as well, uh, if you're a crime scene investigator at the scene, uh, turning the body over and having a look at their other side uh, before you, say, package them up, because you never know what uh, what may have occurred. Um, and then once all that is. that is done we've done all our say forensic samples on the person Um, this is when the pathologist makes their say first incision and then starts dissecting the person and opening up and having a look at say their organs and their internal cavities and it's at this point the mood can change in the uh, in the mortuary room and it's it's hard for me to describe but I guess it's, you've got this whole person from head to toe, say, if there hasn't been significant trauma, and your pathologist will make the incision, and then it's like the the, the person completely changes at that point, and they don't become this, say, like, I don't know, they don't become this, like, whole human being anymore. It's like, yeah, they, they are now sort of, um, they're changed in a way really really hard for me to describe but it's it's what got me when I first went to a post-mortem my first few that I dealt with it was this moment when um, I think you've got someone that's on the table and they are they are sort of relatively intact and then this thing happens to them and if it would happen to an alive person you would be screaming out in pain and yet this person doesn't. And I think it's it's strange in a way, but it's, it's at that point it's like I I know that there's no way back because this person has been pronounced dead, but at, th- at this point there there definitely isn't any way back and it's almost like that real harsh visual reminder that this person has, has yeah, has passed away. Um, yes yeah, it's, it's it's really hard for me to describe. Um maybe maybe i should be describing it almost soon after i i experienced something like this um but yeah and i guess the reason why i'm i'm doing this podcast in a way is because you see a lot of stuff like this on television um i've just watched house of the dragon and anyone i won't try and i won't spoil it for many people but um if you've watched House of the Dragon and, you, and you've watched it all, there are some really traumatic scenes in there. Um, I found them really traumatic because I've dealt with, say, like real life experiences quite like it. Of course, I wasn't in a in a castle surrounded with dragons and people dressed up in chainmail, but <laughs> the the sort of feeling of say death w- was there, um, particularly with say the the type of I won't try and spoil it, but the type of people that have have passed away in this show, and it brought back all those feelings for me. And uh, yeah, I I guess it's one thing that say shows probably find it difficult to portray. Um, is that is that real anguish? That real despair? That that those those harsh harsh real feelings that that happen when we go we go through this. And whenever someone comes up to me at a crime scene and they say to me, what's the most traumatic thing you've ever seen or what's the worst way someone has passed away? I think what you're actually asking me there is you're asking me to think about one of, say, the worst moments in my life, a a moment that I've, say, put to the back of my mind and I'm only really comfortable talking about it when I unlock that box, I open it up and I'm ready to take that out. And you want me to answer this to you just for, say, your curiosity. It's it's a really dangerous thing because, I mean, you wouldn't do this to, say, someone who has had counselling for, say, an abusive relationship they've been, been in, say. And then you wouldn't ask them what is the worst thing this person has ever done to you when you know it is really, really traumatic. You don't want to bring that up to the surface um, without any, say, warning or anything like that. And that's almost what House of the Dragon did for me. It it brought up all these feelings of um, experiences similar to this that I've been in. And there was no warning for me. <laughs> um, so I guess that's why I, I found it really difficult. And I just wanted to say, remind people that we are crime scene investigators, people in the police, the emergency services, your doctors, your nurses, your fire brigade officers that go in there and they go in to tackle fires. They don't realise that there's a deceased in there. Um, your rescuers uh, that, yeah, that strive, your carers. Um, people like this, uh, we go through quite a lot of trauma, really. And and yeah, we are, we are people at the end of the day. Um, I will have to say, go to a child death, come home and be dad. I mean, that is surreal, isn't it, when you think about it, like, I have to deal with the worst thing that could happen to, say, someone's child, and then I've got to go home and be a father to my own child. And, yeah, it's it's it can be really tricky, because I'm talking about, lots. I'm talking lots, sorry, about trauma and um, how it can, say, affect me, especially in that moment. But there are lots of coping mechanisms that i have There's, there is support out there for everyone in my team and myself as well um i guess my coping mechanisms are i don't bottle things in if i have dealt with quite a traumatic scene i will go to someone that i know is say capable and comfortable listening to me and I will say offload on them. The, the worst thing that I can do is offload on someone that already has sort of their <laughs> their emotions quite high. I think we we love and I people that know me know that I love analogies and metaphors. Um, there are various analogies. Like I think most men use the pint glass analogy. Like if your pint glass is almost like your mind. If you fill it up too much, eventually it's going to overflow. So you need to take like little regular sips, just making sure that you're dealing with what is in that pint glass before it then, say, flows over. I like the kitchen cupboard uh, method because I do like a bit of organisation. So basically like your feelings, your thoughts and everything, say trauma that you suffer, your experiences, they're like things that you put into this kitchen cupboard. Uh, You may put something big in the back of your kitchen cupboard um, that is taking up a lot of space but it's okay because you've made room for it, it's when you start putting in a lot of little things that eventually your kitchen cupboard is just going to burst open and everything's going to come flooding out Um, and I've seen this happen so many times not just in my career but just in general life as well you see that someone snaps over the absolute minute little thing but they're not actually so upset about that little thing they're upset about say something that happened years ago that they haven't dealt with that they've put away in their kitchen cupboard and yet they haven't still dealt with all these little things and it will be this one little thing that they put in their mind that will just cause it all to overflow and hey presto Jenga um, yeah that happens so and I think that's why um, lockdown was so hard for people as well, because, I mean, we just say, just talk about it over a cup of tea. Us English, we love to have a cup of tea and have a big moan, but what we're actually doing is we're offloading and we're we're sort of giving our mind an MOT, it's, it's sort of regular service. Um, and when lockdown happened, we didn't have that. Um, I actually felt quite fortunate to be working through lockdown. I mean we in the emergency services, we didn't have a single day off. Um, there was no furlough or, or anything because, yeah, we were still expected to go out there and work as normal and, and quite rightly. I mean, the, the public, you you deserve this service. Um, but I felt quite fortunate because I I could offload and I could have, say, that cup of tea at a two-metre-plus distance with my, my colleagues in the office. Um, and I could say yeah just offload my my feelings really um, and that sort of helped kept keep me sane through lockdown so what I would say um, and I've gone off on a tangent because this was supposed to be about death and everything but what I would say to you is if you have say traumatic experiences do not keep them to yourself um, find people you trust that you you know can take on these problems um, or seek so, sort of help through uh, in the UK we've got say Samaritans that you can contact you can go to your your local GP if you're really suffering um, or if you are in a, a mental health crisis then go to A&E straight away, um, they're trained for, for things like this and my goodness it's it's not a weakness if you are able to identify this in yourself and and seek the help straight away then you have shown that incredible strength to do so Uh, the easy option is to just let it fester away and and become this this bigger problem that it doesn't need to be so yeah do seek help if 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 you need to Um, i think i'm gonna wrap it up there because i'm looking at the time and it's getting to (laughs) almost half hour Um, if you've made it this far well done i haven't bored you too much (laughs) And I hope that you found this really interesting and it's been great for me to be back and for me to offload a little bit (laughs) (laughs) as well. Maybe this is my therapy talking to this screen. But again, thank you so much for listening. I really hope to catch you all again soon. Um, Look after yourselves and I'll see you uh, at the next one. This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next Crime Scene.